Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Monday morning uh, to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We have got Bernie sitting in all this week because John uh, John Paul is on his holidays and he has picked a lovely week weather-wise to have off for sure. So we hope he's having a lovely time. But John, so Bernie's taking your calls all week. 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, text or WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. And I'd love to hear what you got up to at the week. Hopefully you managed to get out and about and enjoy what was absolutely glorious weather. And needless to say, all of the newspapers today have gorgeous photographs of people flocking to uh, all of our beautiful beaches, uh, particularly yesterday. We've, we Yesterday we had the highest day of the year so far with a record temperature for of 25.9 degrees for yesterday's. So all of the newspapers have pictures of people at the beach holding 99 ice creams or people in the water, children making sandcastles. And it struck me when I was going through the papers this morning, people visiting Ireland, either picking up a newspaper today or if they had been watching the news over the weekend. I wonder what they make of our obsession when the sun comes out and we place so much emphasis on this glorious weather that we dedicate time to it on our main news bulletins and all of our newspapers will pick up with column inches about the fine weather and photographs uh, to boot but that's exactly what we've done again uh, today and it is uh, the uh, Azores High this weather front it has reached the country we were talking about it all last week and according to Matt Aaron it should hang around we can expect fine weather until at least Thursday of this week now the temperatures don't think they're going to be quite as high yesterday as we go into the week. They're saying between 22, 23 degrees. But it was Shannon, by the way, who registered the hottest place in Ireland yesterday with a record-breaking temperature for Shannon Airport of 25.9. And when you look at and think of Shannon Airport yesterday, 25.9, and you look around the world to make comparisons in July, Los Angeles uh, had a high of 19 degrees uh, and Mexico City had a high of 19. 
19 degrees. There we were at 25.9 degrees. We were even higher, would you believe, than Honolulu in Hawaii. They were hit oh, they, mere 24 degrees was what it was in Hawaii uh, yesterday. So because of it, obviously, people getting out and about to our beaches, to our parks, to any sort of waterways, or even if you just spend time in your own garden, it was just lovely to be out enjoying the fine weather. So today is expected to be as hot as yesterday. They're saying some parts will hit around 25 uh, degrees. Tomorrow then, highs at most 23 degrees Wednesday 22 degrees and Thursday 22 degrees so up to and including Thursday this fine weather set to last and obviously Met Aaron are warning people wear sunscreen when you're out and about even if it gets a bit cloudy because that was one of the things over the weekend it was nice fine weather but there might have been a bit of cloud as well and while it's warm people might think oh, it's cloudy I don't need to wear the sunscreen you do the UV levels are particularly high at this time of year so while we're in enjoying this warm weather. Think of our neighbours across the water in the UK. They're sweltering because they are right in the middle of a heat wave. Temperatures yesterday in the UK in some parts went to 32 degrees. That really is uh, warm. And I saw the Taoiseach Micheál Martin warning that if you did head to the beach, he was warning that people who litter and leave broken glass on our beaches, he says they really need to stop and think about others. And obviously Micheál Martin was picking up on something a piece we did last week when we spoke with local uh, Fianna Fáil councillor Andrew Audrey, sorry my apologies Audrey Buckley who uh, joined us and if you remember Audrey joined us to talk about the need for a full time community police officer to be placed in Church Bay Beach and that was following antisocial behaviour. You know, she spoke about two children who were injured after stepping on pieces of glass on the beach that had left behind because of antisocial uh, behaviour. And some of those children had to go to the accident and emergency department to get stitches in their little feet. God help them. And seemingly there was more broken glass there last uh, week. So Micheál Martin, speaking to the Echo newspaper today, says he appeals to anyone who frequently goes to our beaches and enjoys our beaches and spends family time in our beaches to please make sure that you take all your litter home with you and when you go along for your day to the beach that you leave it as you found it. And when he was asked about broken glass and what Councillor Audrey Buckley had been talking about last week, he said it was absolutely unacceptable and that it was very dangerous to leave broken glass, particularly in the vicinity of beaches. So be careful when you're out on the beach and try your best to tell the children to keep a lookout but it is shameful that it's bad enough that people leave litter behind them but that anybody would deliberately smash glass and then leave it behind it it's just can't get my head around that at all and then can we send congratulations to one of our own Graeme Norton he's believed he's believed <laughs> the rumour mill is just buzzing around West, West Cork he is believed to have toasted his recent wedding at a lavish ceremony in West Cork over the weekend. Now, according to the rumours, about 100 guests attended an exclusive event at Bantry House. And of course, Graham Norton is one of Bandon and West Cork's favourite sons. And along with his partner, it is believed that they returned to Graham's holiday home 
in Ahakishta yesterday where the party continued and there was marquees down by the waterfront and actually there's a picture in the examiner today taken by Eddie O'Hare of people on the beach and seemingly it is said to be guests who were enjoying the fine weather at Graham's holiday home in West Cork. Now it seems Graham and his partner may have already legally married at an earlier stage and then Saturday's event at Bantry House was believed to be in some kind of a blessing ceremony with another uh, celebration then in the marquee in his house yesterday on the Sheep's Heads Peninsula. It's understood that the Scottish singing star Lulu was there. She played part of the celebrations and the Panty Bliss was at the DJ and that Riverdance, members of Riverdance troupe entertained those that were gathered as well. Now, as I say, the rumour machine had gone into overdrive in Bantry last week and there was a host of celebrity names being mentioned as possible guests but the event itself was carried out with low-key military position and there's absolutely no photographs of celebrities or any leaking of who was and wasn't there and it seems the guests began arriving in Bantry House at around lunchtime on Saturday and by the way, the venue was closed to the public. Now, I did hear there was helicopters seemingly whizzing in and out. How much of that is true, I don't know. But then what a perfect weekend to have an event down in West Cork for a Graham. I mean, it was a beautiful sunny day on Saturday and then it was a glorious sunny day yesterday. So you can see why in that photograph people are in the water and are in shorts and T-shirts and really very much enjoying the fine uh, weather. And see me, the marquees began appearing at the start of last week and some locals then were certain that they were being put in place to mark Graham's recent union but there's been absolutely no confirmation from Graham Norton that he has got married or, or not and of course Graham Norton spends his summer every year in Ahakishta but he still does what he started it last year and he's doing it again this year he does a Saturday and Sunday morning radio show with Virgin Media UK and what he did last year and is doing again this summer he's still wants to come and have his summers in his holiday home in West Cork so what he does instead is he uses our C103 our band in studios and he broadcasts live from there on Saturday and uh, Sunday morning so that he doesn't have to go back every weekend and then miss out on the lovely weekends in West Cork so uh, as I say it's all rumoured at this stage that he did uh, marry but there was certainly a lot of celebrations going on in and that involved uh, Graham Norton at the weekend. So either which way, we send him love and congratulations. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls this morning. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Here's an interesting text in from a listener. Can anybody help with this one, please? Patricia, please. Hoping some of your listeners might be able to offer words of advice. I'm living in my home a number of years now, but recently... Some nearby forestry has been cut down and this summer we're absolutely plagued with very noisy and aggressive crows. Obviously their rookery was disturbed when the forestry was cut and now they've moved closer to us. They wake me and the children early in the morning. They're constantly cawing in a very aggressive manner. They have the children's new trampoline, the new trampoline 
absolutely destroyed in bird poo. I mean, it is covered. It's so bad they can't jump on it without it first being cleaned every single time they want to use their trampoline in the garden. The crows will perch on the trampoline and swing set, the nearby trees and the telephone poles. They are non-stop and it has now just become so uh, irritating. I have an autistic child who's been driven mad by the noise of the birds and is now taking, my child has, had to, has to wear ear defenders constantly at home, whereas before my child only had to use, use them when they were going outside. Please help, we are exhausted. Wow, that sounds absolutely shocking. Does anybody please have a suggestion of what our listener can do? And I think you're probably right the way she said they've never had this problem before because they've been living in this house for a number of years. It's only when the recent forestry was cut down and obviously that's where the crows, I'm assuming, were nesting and now they've moved closer to where this listener is living but that kind of ongoing noise would drive you scatty but particularly for a child with autism and how noise can really affect children on the spectrum so um, anyone maybe in the farming community maybe might have a solution how do you stop and how do you sort of move them on to to go somewhere else but it does sound like it's the fact that they're awake very early in the morning and then the constant mess obviously that they are making but it's the noise level whatever about cleaning the trampoline I'd say that our listener would even get over having to clean that every day but it's the constant noise and that cawing sound that crows make it's 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 a horrible it's it's not a bird song for sure and I know all of God's screeches got a place in the choir and that but it's a very very horrible sound and if you've got hundreds of them doing that caw caw sound oh my God I can imagine how it is wrecking the heads of everybody in the household Anybody got advice for our listener? Can you get on to us, please? You can either give Bernie a call at 0818 103 103 or you can text her WhatsApp to 086 103 And I don't know if anybody else has this problem or not, but John is in Buttevant and he donated money through his bank card to the Ukrainian appeal at the start back in March when everything was the evasion started and everyone was being as generous as possible to try to help the Red Cross with their appeal for Ukraine. But he says the problem he now has is he has been bombarded with texts and emails from the Red Cross since looking for further donations. He feels that it's a bit like emotional blackmail. He said at the end of the day he's a pensioner and that he can only give so much And that can be a problem when you donate. I know, for example, after the vaccines, remember when we all got our vaccines in the early days of the pandemic and there was an appeal put out by, I think it was UNICEF, that if you got a vaccine to donate a vaccine to to children and people in other countries who couldn't afford a vaccine. And I remember as a family, that's what we did. And I hadn't donated to UNICEF before and I constantly now. But it seems to be through the post, I get these probably about maybe once a month. I get these things to the post talking about, you know, different issues that are going on around the world. Does it feel a little bit like emotional blackmail? Uh, Yeah, if you're reading some of it, some of the stories are absolutely heartbreaking. But I didn't realise the Red Cross were doing it and linking it to 
the Ukraine appeal. I wonder, John, if you contact the Red Cross. You see, you're obviously on some kind of a mailing list. It's not somebody deliberately targeting you. You're gone on some kind of a mailing list and then it's the, their computer generated and the computer sends them out. I'm wondering, could you have your name taken off it because I know with a local hospital charity I'll say no more than that somebody had donated and a similar thing was happening uh, was, was actually to her elderly mother her elderly mother had donated and then she discovered that her elderly mother was constantly getting appeals for more money from this particular hospital uh, group and my friend herself had to contact the hospital to say please you've got to stop doing this my mother is, a, is an elderly person doesn't have a lot of money and every time she was being contacted she was sending on more money money that she couldn't afford and she got her name and number and contact details and address removed so I'm wondering if you could do that with the Red Cross would that work but also let's give it out there to see has that happened to many other people that who have um, had made a donation to the Red Cross at the start of the Ukrainian appeal and are you now like John he feels bombarded with texts and uh, emails 0818103103 and someone has been on to us to say hi Patricia it was Graham Norton's 60th birthday party yeah he was 60 this year that was on in West Cork over the weekend and this listener knows of somebody who attended. So, did all the media get it wrong when they thought it was some kind of a wedding? So instead, it was a great big hoolie to celebrate Graham's 60th birthday. If so, happy birthday, Graham. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818103103. With our ongoing current housing crisis, many people from rural areas get very, very frustrated when they are turned down for planning permission, often in an area where perhaps they or their family have lived all of their lives. Clare based planning consultant Andrew Hersey says empty holiday homes are impacting on local people's chances of getting planning permission. And Andrew joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Andrew. Hi, Patricia. I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, parts of Cork County would be very similar to parts of uh, County Clare. Can you explain why you believe holiday homes are impacting on planning? Well, I suppose you have a, a situation in part of Clare where there's an altar of, of holiday homes up along the coast, both in the, in the settlements and in the upper countryside. And I suppose if a local person has applied for a house in these areas, and I suppose there's too many houses in the area already, I suppose they may not get permission for a house there. Purely the basis that, like, I suppose, there's already abundant houses in the area already. I'll be at a lot of these or holiday homes and I know this because I drive up these coast roads during the winter and the lights are off in all these houses that they are empty which is I suppose is unsustainable for the development and you can understand that it's hurting for you then like you know that a place is already overdeveloped but if they allow more houses there it's going to set creases for more and more houses and eventually you'll have houses in every half acre of the countryside and where do you stop really if you and do people spend a lot of money on the planning process? It really depends on, on the person who refer them. Well, you could spend upwards of five, six thousand euros in the application. Like, you know, it could be more expensive with other people. Like, you know, um, 
there's a significant amount of money, and I suppose that to a certain extent, local authorities should be a bit more um, proactive in, in, in giving pre planning advice before an applicant even applies for that house. And at that stage, or an accident, if there are problems in terms of risk. And is there any pre-planning advice given? Any risk, sorry? Is there any pre-planning advice given from the planners? Again, it depends on the county. Some counties are very, very good at giving advice at pre-planning stage. Other counties, you can be waiting months and months and months for any sort of response. Uh, but I think myself personally, if it's given at an early stage and if resources are put into the planning department, to give everybody pre-planning advice at this stage, it will stop the offer of applications coming in that will be refused otherwise. And I think they'd probably save time in the long term. And would you hear of people who get turned down and then they reapply and reapply in the hopes that they will get the planning eventually? Most definitely. And sometimes they reapply, reapply, reapply. They do get risk eventually. There are cases like that. Um, and you do wonder. I, I mean, lots of the time, sufficient information is not submitted to the local authority to get permission in the first place. And that's why it takes several goals to get permission because, because I suppose the sufficient information wasn't... Well, that's, uh, the, that's the applicant's fault then, is it? The person applying hasn't given the, all of the information. It's, it's the applicant's fault. But again, what I say, like, if that applicant was given the time at pre-planning BC, yeah, yeah. the planner could advise what needs to be submitted at the time. Yeah, instead of wasting somebody's time, yeah, and wasting money because I'm, I'm, there's a cost every time you reapply. Of course, yeah. Would you have heard, Andrew, from young farmers who were refused planning on their family land? Um, yes, it happens all over the country, unfortunately. Um, I often hear cases that. Here in Clare, for instance, like to a certain extent, like you know, a, a, a son or a daughter of that is accommodated by local authority, which it is given. But if it appeals to a board law by a third party, the board probably will refuse most applicants. That's the way they're interpreted uh, for housing policy at the moment. Unless you're a farmer, like, and you can prove that you are making a living off that farm, uh, the board tend to turn you down. So gone are the days of the farmer being able to give a patch of land to his son or each of his sons and each of his daughters. Well, that kind of days. I suppose the issue here is, I suppose, the approach by local authorities around the country, they're all different approaches to board houses. And they're not more people has a different approach again. Like, so it's clear if, it's, if you're a son or a daughter of a donor, generally speaking, in principle, you'd be committed to the house. Now that's subject to like their own safety and the environment compared to that kind of stuff like you know. But in principle, a son or a daughter of a landowner is allowed to get permission. Um but how the board will interpret that or Buckle Law will interpret that, unless they have an economic need to live in the land, they should be allowed to build there. So unless they're actually farming land and making money off the land, basically the a, a full-time income, it's not a part-time job, the board is going to refuse risk that, that applicant. 
You just wonder, as, as I said in the introduction with the housing crisis, you think anything and everything would be done to try to encourage people to build? It would, but I suppose there, there is the argument that, like, you know, that Woodhouse County is unsustainable in general. It's it's a house on the outside. You have to travel everywhere by car. There's no bus service and stuff like that. So it, you can understand from, from a planning perspective that, that that living in towns and villages and cities is a more sustainable option for people, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, the rural housing guidelines that are due, I know they've been delayed until uh, October to give. uh, Will they give greater clarity, do you think, on the future of one-off housing? I would would hope so. And I hope that the the guidelines are saying and that, like, you know, they're, they're clear-cut in terms of what guidance they're giving. And that all the local authorities around the country interpret these guidelines the same way, and that a book law interprets it the same way as well. Because at the moment, every local authority is interpreting the rural housing policy in different ways, and a book law has, has a different way as well as a government. And that, that, that's not a fair for Africans. Yeah, so the, the guidelines are welcome, but as long as they're they're clear and concise, and black and white, and every local authority knows what's in the guidelines and uh, gets out their thoughts in favour of the guidelines. Let's try and take the guesswork out of planning because it seems yeah. in, in some areas that it really is guesswork. Okay, Andrew, I leave Both it. I leave it there, Andrew. Thank you for that. Okay, no Thanks for joining us. That is Andrew Hersey, who is a planning consultant uh, based in uh, County Clare. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 As we heard yet again on the programme last Friday, many frontline workers have yet to receive their COVID pandemic bonus and that's nearly seven months after they were first announced. To discuss how staff at the private nursing homes are reacting to the delay in payment, I'm joined by Ty Daly, Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland. Good morning to you, Ty. Good morning, Patricia. And and absolutely great to talk to you as well. Now, how many are indeed, if any, staff at nursing homes, private nursing homes, have received their pandemic bonus? Well, fortunately, none. Nobody has received anything as of yet. Um, And as I said in your intro there, I mean, clearly this was announced in 19th of January at much fanfare. And obviously it's the right thing to do. And we, we fully acknowledge that government made the right decision here. But I suppose ultimately there's a level of frustration, as you can appreciate, among staff within the sector, given that they've had no communication, good, bad or indifferent, um, and clearly no payment as of yet. And those directly employed by the HSE, many of them have started to receive their payments, haven't they? Yeah, we believe so. I mean, the latest figures I've seen, I think something about 70-75% of those directly employed uh, would have received their payments at this stage. So look, that's welcome. It's positive. But uh, I suppose the frustration on our side, really, Patricia, is that we've had very little communication despite our best efforts. And um, while we appreciate, you know, there is a a procedure around this and it can be, um, you know, challenging, I suppose, in terms of numbers, etc. But, like, my attitude at this stage is what we should do is agree a date and set the date and walk towards that date. And people would at least have certainty when it's coming. You know, if it is September, I mean, it's it's not going to be July now, clearly. 
Um, it, could it be August? Could it be September? But even if it is September, at least people can say, well, you know what, that will help me now as I walk around trying to get my family back to school or maybe plan a holiday or some sort of an event because not knowing is, is one of the huge frustrations now across staff who have, who have worked and continue to work very, very hard in the, in the face of the ongoing threat of COVID. And at this stage within your sector, does everybody know who is entitled to it and who is not? Yeah, well, again, that's a, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. I mean, what we're expecting and uh, what we've seen in, in terms of the, the circulars that have come from the Department of Health, uh, you know, it outlines those that are working in the sector and that are working, as it were, in frontline care. And clearly all of those working in nursing homes, whether it's in uh, the kitchens, whether it's in cleaning, uh, obviously if it's in direct care, like care assistance and nurses, we, we expect all of those to be, um, to be included. And uh, it should replicate what's happening in the public system. Uh, and what we know to date is that those, as I say, who were in frontline care uh, will, will get paid. So we, we would expect all those who work in nursing homes, because even in the, the height of COVID, you know, while you may have been, um, you know, working as a, as a chef, for example, uh, you know, everybody was uh, on that front line because the, the, the chef would have been out uh, helping people with with um, dinners and, and uh, feeding and, and and ongoing nutrition. So we expect all ultimately to be to be included in this. Well, God knows when we think back to the early days of the pandemic, I mean, nobody really knew what was going on or how it was being transmitted. I mean, there was a lot of it was scary times and everybody was just trying to do their best to keep everybody safe. But I, but last Friday when we started mentioning it, because obviously we hear every now and again from people saying, hey, does anybody know when we're going to be receiving our €1,000? We had somebody who contacted us who is uh, EMT, works in, in the ambulance service, but with a private ambulance service, contracted to the HSE and said definitely in the early days, I mean, they were picking up COVID patients and bringing them to hospital and they still yeah. are dealing with COVID patients and as far as that gentleman knew he wasn't entitled to it but when I looked up on the HSE's official uh, to say who gets it and who doesn't get it it does say paramedics employed by the Department of Local Government Housing and uh, Heritage outside of the HSE ones so you would assume that they would be getting it as well but it's just there's just nobody knows No absolutely and I think that's the frustration from from your caller last week and we get it every day uh, at the moment you know because I suppose people are concerned about uh, you know, will will they be included in the first case? And then, as I say, in terms of in, in terms of planning, so communication here is key. And as I said at the outset, it's a hugely welcome initiative. I mean, what it does say is that the those that work on the front line, you know, it is a recognition of the efforts they made. But you know, the the the, the goodness of it, I suppose, is in danger of being undone by dragging it on. Um, but we're confident from talking to government that it, it will be paid. Um, and I, I suppose at the outset, uh, or at the at the end of it, you know, you'd imagine it will be paid in this in this financial in this financial year. So, mm. um, but given that it was announced in January, you know, we're we're now into July. You know, it is just, it's just great with people, I suppose. Because when I knew you were going to be joining me on the programme uh, today, I downloaded from the HSC on the recognition payment frequently asked questions. And yes. one one of the questions was about people in your own sector and uh, uh, section um, non-HSE and, and section yes. 39s. And it said the Department of Health has advised the HSE that it will shortly publish information for those other employees 
covered by the government decision and the process available to their employers to implement the measure for their eligible staff. Do you know has that information been published? No, absolutely not. Oh. I mean, that was, I think that information dates from April to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. That's the last uh, official communication that we would have, we would have seen. And uh, I suppose we were encouraged at that stage. As I say, it was announced on the 19th of January. April was the next formal communication. And we, we saw that as being a, an important step in the next stage. And of course, no, I can confirm that today we still haven't got any further detail on what's in the public domain at the moment. And when you speak with the Department of Health, and I imagine on a continuous basis, yes, uh, I mean, what are they saying to you? Well, uh, yeah, I suppose, it, it, you know, to be fair, they're waiting, I suppose, from clearance from maybe the part of public expenditure and reform or, or somebody. But it is that, you know, the line is we're walking through the, 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 the procedures. is a very, I suppose, kind of a, uh, I don't want to be unkind, but a kind of a classic civil service. Uh, response, which is that they're working through it and they'll be in communication once they, once they have further information to it. Um, but, but clearly that's very, very frustrating for, for everybody, not least um, those, those who are as not in the HSE services. And I saw the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, when he was asked about it. He said it's a complex task. Do you think it needs to be so complicated? Well, I suppose, look, ultimately it's public money and I, I can understand that and it does you know, there is a there is a procedure around it. But I'm not sure about the word complex, and I don't want to be dancing on the head of a pin. But you know, it shouldn't be that complex. I mean, anybody who worked in the nursing home sector in the in the height of the pandemic, you know, they're they're on PAYE. So the revenue commissioners would have full details of the dates they worked, the hours they worked, their weekly their weekly salary, for example. So it should be relatively straightforward. I mean, to be fair, revenue do a very good job in terms of revenue online, for example, as many of your listeners will know. So a lot of that information is there now. And, you know, clearly technology can assist in that as well. So it shouldn't be that complex. But, uh, you know... And it is, a tax, like, it is a tax-free payment. Well, it is a tax-free payment, absolutely. And that's why, you know, from an employer's point of view, it's not appropriate for the employer to, 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 to uh, pay it because anything the employer will pay will be subject to PAYE. I mean, that's the, the law of the land, ultimately. So that's why it's important from our perspective that we need to get chapter and verse from the Department of Health so that we are fully compliant and that the employees themselves are fully compliant with with, um, with revenue demands. But I think, certainly judging from some of the listeners who've contacted this programme about it, what is really annoying people, the fact that about three quarters now, as you say, of the HSC workers who are entitled to the money mm. have received their pandemic bonus. And, and I know one listener contacted me who is a nurse working in a nursing home and her sister is a nurse working in a HSC hospital. The sister got the money and she didn't, yes. even though both of them worked right at the front line, both doing similar work you know, at the start of the pandemic. And she, she said that really is, is you know, almost, yeah, yeah, and almost yeah. causing disagreements in, inside in the household <laughs> to the point that it is nearly taking the glass off the payment, Dyke. Well, and I suppose that's the point I was making. Look, clearly, as I said, it, it, said it was the right decision. And I think, to be fair, you know, we do acknowledge that the government made a very good decision here. You know, we were in touch with the Minister for Health, uh, Minister of Public Expenditure and Reform, and they were very clear. And, and the Taoiseach, they were all very clear from the outset that, you know, in private nursing homes and indeed others in, in hospice, the hospice uh, and other uh, organisations would be included. So that was the right decision. But you're right, the longer this drags on, I suppose it does take some of the good out of it. Um, but ultimately, look, at the end of the day, once the once the money arrives, I suppose it is hugely important for people because, it, you know, it is about recognition on the one hand. But let's be, let's, let's be honest, you know, in the current climate, 
you know, 1,000 euros is not an insignificant amount of money. And many people will, maybe in January when they heard the news, have factored into their, yeah. their, annual, and their annual budget or their annual holidays. Yeah, I mean, 100%. To be honest, when I heard it in January, I would think this is great news because for a lot of staff in the sector, they would be planning their, their summer holiday and be able to say, you know what, now that will be able to offset some of the some of the cost of the summer holiday. I mean, we're... we're we're into July now and we still haven't seen it so that's what's usually frustrating. Half of them will be back from their summer holiday before they ever get it unfortunately. Yes, they Somebody they says out, That's why ultimately even if they said October you know a person can say look I'll go to the credit union and I'll be able to advance myself a few bob on the basis of getting it in October. At the moment we're still saying you know what is the procedure and when is the, when is the deadline so for me the priority you know, from government's point of view is to say okay we're going to have it done by X date uh, and, and here's the procedure that's not going to happen. And at least people will understand in that it's in train. Here's the procedure, and I know by certain date I'm, go- I'm going to actually receive receive the um, the recognition payment. Okay, and back again to just uh, more texts coming in showing this lack of information. Somebody says, "Hi, I am a home help, but I work with a private nursing home provider. Worked right throughout the pandemic. Am I entitled to the COVID payment?" That's for Mary, and Mary is because that's on the. The, yes, the health care support assistance, also known as home health, home care, home support, right. uh, contracted to the HSC, which is what a private home health provider is. Yeah, my understanding is, uh, I mean, far be it for me to be speaking on behalf of the government, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can assure you. Um, I'm sure they'd be equally as frightened of that, of that prospect. But um, my understanding is, yeah, at the early stages, home care and home helps were not included but I, that's right that, 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 was, that was changed subsequently to the best of my knowledge yeah yeah, because there was uproar at the time over that because the amount of, right. of home helps we still affectionately call them home helps the amount of them that contacted us you know talking about keeping people safe at home but also talking about going in and working with people who were COVID positive and wanting that's to right. keep them at home so I mean absolutely they were right and it was only right and proper that the government that's changed right. their mind to, uh, on that and one Absolutely, and that's what's really frustrating about it. This is a fabulous story, you know, from government's point of view, and it was the right thing to do, as I said. But you know, the the, the, the drag, the foot dragging on it, is just really not helpful. It's taking the good out of it. it, it it's unfortunate, it, it, but it's it, it, for it, some it, people, yeah, because, yeah. You know, the, the procedure and the timeline and the process is now the story rather than you know, the good news that, that people have been acknowledged for the efforts that they made. OK, and while we have you on the programme, Ty, what's happening with COVID in, in nursing homes? Are you, are you experiencing many outbreaks? Yeah, no, well, there, there are still outbreaks. I mean, um, but clearly nowhere near how um, it has been in the past. So, uh, at the moment, uh, figures I saw last week would be about 60 outbreaks across the country. So, you know, probably about 10% of all nursing homes. But uh, what I'm hearing, two things. One is that people aren't as sick number one, which is obviously great news, and the vaccine is clearly a huge part of that. And secondly, it's small numbers. So, um, you know, we're walking through it. Visiting is, is back to pretty much normal, thankfully. And um, I suppose we're just getting prepared for the winter now. I mean, we need to keep optimistic, obviously, but by the same token, we need to keep an eye on what's going to happen over the next uh, couple of months as well. And it is looking like that this summer wave that they're talking about, it's looking like if it hasn't peaked, it should peak this week. And then we should get a bit of a reprieve but COVID, yeah. COVID has not gone away, unfortunately. No, it has not, no. And uh, I mean, we're talking to the HSE already uh, about, you know, further boosters probably. I mean, clearly we'll be looking at, you know, the winter flu campaign in probably September, October. And there's a prospect now in terms of, of uh, also a further booster of, of, of the COVID vaccine in tandem with that. So, so that's what I mean when, when we're looking at looking at winter. I mean, clearly, Northampton has a huge role to play 
given the demands on our acute hospital. So it's important uh, that we do, we don't, um, I suppose, drop the ball, as it were, and um, keep keep a, a sharp focus on COVID. And you know, we, we all have a personal responsibility there. You know, some people still want to wear masks, and that is their prerogative. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we would encourage anybody coming to a nursing home, not encourage, we would request anybody coming that, you know, if they have any symptoms, not to come near a nursing home, obviously. Um, you know, but they should observe all of the good public health measures if they are coming. Yeah, and the flu, you know, obviously we always look to Australia because they get their yeah. winter before us. I've relatives home at the moment from uh, Australia and they're talking about the flu this year is really, really bad. I mean, their That's GP right. was even on the phone to them. These were young couples saying, get your flu jab this year. This is a really, really bad strain of uh, flu. So it'll be important for people to get their flu jab as well. And for people with any symptoms like that, don't go near a nursing home to visit anybody. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, listen, stay safe, Tyg. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Tyg Daly, uh, Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have a date or even a deadline in which uh, people who are still waiting for their recognition payment, that's what the COVID bonus has been called, their recognition payment, except to say that the powers that be in the Department of Health are, along with the HSE, will shortly publish information for those other employees, not the ones directly working for the HSE, when and how they will receive their money. And I say, any time we mention it, we get similar calls in like that. Do you think I'm entitled to it? And going down through, if you go online, there is a recognition payment, frequently asked questions. A lot of the questions deal with the HSE at staff, but as we know, good news for them in that three quarters, about over 75,000, I think, up to the end of June, had already received their €1,000 pandemic payment. Now, that was at the end of June that probably even more has been paid across last week but it's the people in the private sector the people working in the private uh, nursing homes that person who contacts us is there a home help working with a private provider unfortunately they haven't received theirs yet and then somebody says Patricia what about the family carers they had to work during the pandemic those carers had to work 24 hours a day 7 days uh, a, a week uh, and uh, they are they receiving any payment sadly no some of your thoughts and comments but he has just pointed out there's 167 days left to Santa Claus. And that, <laughs> somebody saying, if you think things are bad now, wait for Christmas this year. And 167 days left to Santa Claus. There's somebody who is counting. And on Graham Norton and what the photographs that are in the examiner today are people believing that Graham had a wedding on a Saturday in Bantry and then a follow up bash in a marquee in near his holiday home in Ahakisha Kishta on the Sheep's Head Peninsula and somebody pointed out that it was his Graham's 60th birthday was going on at the weekend there wasn't a wedding and that was when somebody who knew somebody was attending that person has sent on a picture to me which has photographs of the young girls it looks like young the young girls who were serving at the event and it clearly states happy 60th on the back of the uh, t-shirts. <laughs> so I'm now thinking, I'm putting my thinking cap on and wondering, did he have a wedding ceremony on the Saturday in Bantry House and then did he follow it up the following day by deciding to have a birthday bash because all of his friends and families would have, families would have been around on the Sunday, on the Saturday for the wedding. So why not have a birthday bash at the same time? And somebody else has told us that a certain well-known wedding planner was in attendance and we've reached out to see if we can get any more information on what was going on but it seems like it was certainly a great 
celebrates two days of celebrations for Graham Norton and good luck to him on it. Okay, other thoughts coming in. We spoke in the last hour about the nursing homes and I typed daily on from Nursing Homes Ireland talking about the fact that anybody working during the COVID pandemic, working not for the HSC, but still directly working, looking after and caring for people, are entitled to the €1,000 recognition payment, as the government are calling it. They haven't received it yet. And Tig was explaining, you know, the lengths they're going to and the frustration and how irritated some of the staff are feeling because they're entitled to this money. The government said, look, seven months ago, we want to recognise what you did during the pandemic. You know, you put your own lives at, at risk and your own family's health at risk by going out to work every day. And in recognition, we're going to pay you a thousand euro. And of course, it's tax free. So far, three quarters of those within the HSC have received their money. There's about 100,000, I think, workers in the HSC and over 75,000 up to the end of June had received their €1,000, but nobody in the private sector has received a red cent since. That's led to some texts coming in, particularly people picking up on the fact that it's private nursing homes. Michael says on private nursing homes and private ambulance uh, owners, etc. And also home helps who work for private providers and they get contracted out to the HSC. Should they not pay their staff themselves the €1,000 pandemic bonuses? Private nursing homes don't come cheap at the end of the day, says Michael. And someone else making a similar point saying, why should nursing homes benefit from the recognition payment. I'm not saying for one moment that the staff who work in the private nursing homes should not get the recognition, but surely this is the responsibility of the nursing homes who charge hefty fees for the service that they provide. But I suppose the €1,000 recognition payment was from the government. It's the government standing before those people and saying, well done. They were out at one stage. We were out applauding them on the street at night. And it's the government saying that they should be recognised. But some people are saying that it shouldn't, that shouldn't come from the taxpayers, shouldn't come from the Department of Health. It shouldn't come from the government, that if the private workers are getting the money, it is their owners that should be paying it, the owners of the private nursing homes that should be paying it instead. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 0818103103. Bernie is taking your calls there on planning that we also discussed in the last hour. Our Texas says, hi there, on the planning issue. I wonder if the planning office, do they do any checks on compliance once planning is granted? For example, people in our area got planning and the house does not appear to be in line with the row of other houses that were already there. And it actually sits parallel and is visible from the back of the houses already there. Also, when the planning was put in, the wrong address and indeed one of the applicants' name was wrong, but the planning was still given. By the way, this is very much a rural issue and it is very frustrating that the same rules don't apply to at all. Now, I don't know, does a planner, if you get planning permission for a certain house in a certain location to be built a certain way, I, I take it that there's follow-up. Sure, if there wasn't follow-up, people would be just saying, oh, sure, I'll build away and no one's going to check. I'll get my planning permission and then I'll extend it and I'll do a completely different house to what went in on the planning. I Now, I could be completely wrong, but maybe somebody can help us uh, at and fill us in if that's true or not. Once the house is built, 
do the planners come back and check to make sure that what was asked and what was required of the applicant actually happens. If anybody could tell us that, 0818 103 103. But when you're saying it's very frustrating and the rules don't seem to apply to all, just to remind you, and I did mention this when I was speaking with our planning expert earlier on in the programme, the rural housing guidelines, they have been delayed now. I think they were due to be in by now, but they've been delayed until October. But they are expected to give greater clarity on the future of one-off houses and the plan is that these rural housing guidelines will be for the whole of the country because it does seem to vary from local authority to local authority and then as you heard our experts say somebody can get planning and then a board planola can move in and, and say no and be against the planning and then the person loses the planning. So let's wait and see what comes out of these rural housing guidelines and hopefully that will give uh, clarity for once and uh, for all. 0818103103. Can anybody help a listener here, please? Hi, Patricia. I'm just wondering, what's the format for getting your driving licence renewed online and how long does it take, please? And is it sent out in the post? The reason why I'm asking all these questions is I got a letter last week saying that my driving licence is out and Obviously, this person didn't realise their driving licence was out. And I have a DOA, a DOE test for my van this Friday. So I'm wondering if I will have the driving licence back in, in time because obviously they can't do the DOE test unless they have a current driving licence uh, with them. Uh, I would... I, I don't know I'm, I, I don't know how long it takes online so let's see the easiest way certainly is to do it online and it's the way the NDLS service has been encouraging people to do it online so what we need to know for anyone who recently renewed their just a straightforward renewal of your driving licence when you did it online how long did it take if this person applies online today Monday will they have their driving licence in their grubby little paw by Friday in order to do that DOE test for their van. So if anybody recently applied to renew a driving licence and you applied online, can you remember how long did it take? Please let us know. In the meantime, I would suggest ring your local NDLS office or email them. I don't know if you can ring. You certainly can email them. Email them and put your case to them. They may have a point, an appointment available for you and maybe they could get you in on an appointment and speed it up that way. That would be another uh, thing that you can do. But in the meantime, we'll give it out there to see because there will have been other people who would have applied for their driving licence online because as I say, it certainly is the way we're all being encouraged to apply for any of those. It's the same with the passport and you certainly get it back quicker if you apply online. 0818 this is, oh, we've had some response in to the, let me find that original text that came in. It was one of the first uh, texts that came in early this morning from a, a listener. It was a WhatsApp, wasn't it? Absolutely driven, demented with crows that are, have really overtaken her back garden. The children's trampoline is absolutely destroyed uh, because these crows are very aggressive. They're, they're plagued with them. They're awake. They're all exhausted, she said, because they, they everyone is awake early in the morning because they're constantly cawing in a very aggressive manner. As I say, they've completely destroyed the children's trampoline and swing set and to the point that any time the children want to use the trampoline, somebody has to go down out and clean it all down 
zone in order for the children to play on the trampoline. But the bigger problem in the household is there's a little autistic child who's driven mad by the noise. And this autistic child now has ended up having to wear ear defenders constantly at home. And normally this child would only wear ear defenders when they go out because some children and adults on the autism spectrum do not react to very loud noises or very unusual noises. And obviously that's the case with this particular child. So that's having, you know, it's really affecting this uh, child's life as well, having to go around the house all the time with the ear defenders on to try to stop hearing this awful crowing sound that crows make. Now, we've had a bit of reaction for what you could actually do with uh, some suggestions coming in. First of all, Dermot says, this listener thought the reason that the crows have come into our garden and making all of this noise and invaded the area is because they live near a forestry. Now, they've been living in the area for a number of years, never had the problem before, but it's only since there were some trees cut down in the forestry and this listener was just thinking would it be that that's where they'd be nesting and because of that the, the rookery is gone and that they've moved closer to this person's house. She was wondering is, was that was her thought pattern. Dermot says the forestry being caught would have nothing to do with the crows uh, arriving because crows don't nest in forestry trees says Dermot who's a man in the know. Now Dermot has suggested that this family should install a crow banger for a few days. Now I don't know how the child with autism would react to that but maybe you could do it over a few days where the child isn't, isn't in the house maybe but he reckons if you did that over a few days it would do the trick and it would actually frighten the crows away and that they according to Dermot that they, they, they wouldn't come back. Thank you for that Dermot that is a suggestion. Mike in Bantry then says the lady regarding the, no, the noise from the crows if she hires a pea shouter not quite sure what that is, but it seems to be like the crow banger. It gives out a loud bang every 10 to 20 minutes and there's a timer on it. That should work. And I'm assuming that's similar to what Dermot is suggesting. And then something that doesn't involve noise says, Hi Patricia, tell the listener to purchase a flying kite hawk. They are extremely efficient at keeping crows away. So I didn't know what a flying kite, flying hawk a flying kite hawk is what the listener said. I didn't know what that was. So I did a quick Google, Google search and it is actually called a flying hawk kite. And what it is, it keeps pest birds off your buildings and crows and uh, it prevents against any kind of a damage. And it basically is looking at a picture of it online. It basically is it, kind of exactly what it says on, on the tin. It is like a large kite and it's in the shape of a hawk and it obviously flutters in the breeze and it will frighten the life out of the crows and they'll move off and move somewhere else. So there's some suggestions. Hopefully some of them might work. And if the listener could let us know how you get on with any of them. But my heart goes out to you because it's a tough situation to be in and particularly for your child with autism in the summer holidays, trying to enjoy the whole family or trying to have a bit of, of fun and enjoy and you know enjoy being off school, etc. And I know for somebody on the autism spectrum, not being in school with the routine gone, the summer can be hard enough without this annoying crows 
invading your garden and waking you up at the very early hours of the morning. 0818-103-103. That's one for Annalise. I'll hold on to that. Hi, Patricia. Graham Norton definitely got married on Saturday in Bantry Bay. I was in Bantry yesterday and it's all everybody was talking about. Well, I think the story is that he may have got married earlier and there was some kind of a blessing or something, a blessing ceremony uh, took place on the Saturday in Bantry House. And now I'm starting to believe that the other celebration in the marquee at Ahakista was for his 60th because I say I have photographic evidence of, of waiters and waitresses going around with happy 60th. I just can't see what's underneath that doesn't maybe is that does that say Graham underneath the the name underneath this a bit but it definitely says happy 60th so I think that's what it can be so it was the talk of Bantry uh, yesterday uh, thank you for that 0818 you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 C103 Jobs Lucy's Good Food in Mallow they've got a vacancy for a full-time deli assistant experience and working knowledge of HACCP would be an advantage. No students, please, as this is a full-time position. Emails to ianlucy2000 at gmail.com. Loader driver. Wanted for loading and uploading plant machinery. It's in Cork City and Cork County. 86 Kelly Services are holding a recruitment fair next Saturday from 10am to 4pm in the Castle Hotel in McCroom. Now, jobs vary from entry level to management, production operatives, life science, and there's also some engineering roles. And a general operative is wanted for a company based in North Cork, specialising in concrete polishing services. You must have a full driver's licence. You also need to have a safe pass. Email CVs, please, to martin.kremen at kotsu.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 Now on the 1st of July, which was last Friday week, COVID era, free parking ended in three towns across Cork County, Mallow, Kinsale and Bandon. With the public being warned, pay for your parking or you could end up with a parking ticket. Well, it seems for some drivers in Mallow, trying to pay for their parking on that first day, July 1st, was a bit of a problem. And to tell us what happened, I'm joined by local Fine Gael County Councillor Tony O'Shea. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, from from what I understand, the parking meters were still taped over on the morning of the 1st of July. Is that correct? And if so, what happened? Yes, that's correct, Patricia. Look, I suppose um, you outlined there to start to co- our parking has been free for the last two years in Mallow and businesses started to reopen from Christmas on. So, in fairness to Cork County Council and the elected reps, we kept parking free right up to the 1st of July um, last Friday. We had meetings after meetings um, discussing the pay parking. We wanted it simplified. We wanted it 
we wanted people to access this and to make Mallow a more uh, friendlier town to come into the shop to park at, at ease. And this was coming last Friday. We had our municipal meeting last Friday, Patricia, at uh, half ten. And at half nine, I was getting phone calls saying that machines were still covered over. No signage had been updated. And they basically couldn't access the machine. We were implementing this from Friday at Chinata. So it was disappointing. Out of all the meetings we had, Patricia, speaking about it and, and trying to get it right, it was just disappointing that uh, it came to this. Um, so what happened? What we were told at the meeting, Patricia, was they had uh, asked a contractor who services the machines um, to update them, to update the signage on them, and plus uh, the signage on the side of the street up in the steel pole, the steel signage, I call it, Patricia. Um, you know, this was carried out. Um, it was disappointing. But I, I but, but but so people drove up to the car park are and couldn't put money in their machine, and do they then head off to work and leave their car thinking, "Are sure I'll be okay?" Yes, they had no other choice. I had got numerous calls before our municipal meetings saying that uh, they were parking their car in Bowling Green car park, for instance. They were going to work. This was at nine o'clock, half nine. Parking was commencing at ten o'clock. So. We had our municipal meeting at a half ten on Friday morning, so uh, I rose it at the meeting in uh, Patricia, and the contractor seems to have left Cock County Council down here. We're now we're, we're now uh, after taking on the job as they've put temporary signage in place since last week, Patricia. No, but the, but the sting in the tail here is, I believe people did end up coming back to their cars, and there was a parking ticket on it. Um, I have had, well, I, I insisted at the meeting, Patricia, that no ticket was to be given out. Now, this was half 10, 11 o'clock before we got to speak in it. Yeah. Um, I insisted that any ticket, I insisted that they make contact with the traffic wardens downtown and no ticket was to be issued until such time that the signage was updated on the machines and that people had access to the machines that were still covered over, Patricia. Yeah. So they couldn't physically put in the money to get their tickets. So they... They have a commitment at that meeting. I spoke with the senior executive officer afternoon again on Friday and he showed me no ticket, no parking ticket had been given out on Friday morning. So I insisted that until such time that the machines and the signage had been updated that no ticket should be issued. Now there was tickets issued but it wasn't for parking. It wasn't for parking? No, it wasn't for parking. What was it for? Uh, no tax, I'm told. Maybe tickets, people unloading bills and stuff like that. Ah, well, that's different. That's yes, different. But yes. nobody, you're saying, absolutely nobody got a parking ticket that they shouldn't have got because it was it was not their fault. They couldn't physically put the money into the machine to get a parking ticket. You're saying no one got a ticket? Not that I'm aware of. No one has contacted okay. me and I've insisted that the meeting that if I did, if some constituent came back to me after getting a parking ticket between a Friday morning and it was such time that the signage was updated, I was bringing the ticket back to the Kirk County Council to be squashed. OK, so if anybody listening on the 1st of July did get a parking ticket, was it only Bowling Green or was it all of the machines? No, I understand it was most of the machines around uh, around the town, the car parks and the main streets. I, I actually drove into the main street myself and they were taped up still, Patricia. But as I say, look, I've been given a commitment that there is temporary signage in place now and the proper signage will be on the machine. 
and the, the steel signage up on the poles will actually be updated by then. Okay, so pay parking is back up and running, and people are able to put their money into the uh, into into the machine. And is it exactly the same as it was two years ago before COVID, no, uh, Tony, or has it changed? No, there's a slight change in that now. You have an hour free parking on the main street and all car parks now, um, uh, Patricia. And some of the car parks, Bowling Green is all day car park that's still for three euro a day. Okay along with the Muddy Hill car park on the right-hand side. So the car park where the grotto is, if you know it. Yeah, I do. Uh, that's also um, uh, an all-day car park. Now, look, we are looking at trying to find a site for um, an, uh, an employee car park, if you know what I mean, because employees have to have a place to park mm. and at an affordable rate. So we are looking, we are speaking and, and talking about this at our municipal meetings. Uh, nearly every month trying to identify the good locations which hopefully are close enough to the town. Um, But uh, currently over an hour street parking now in the car park and the main street which we think is is, is quite good. Now you have time if you have a a quick job or two to do in the main street of you have that hour street parking but it's only for once a day which uh, is important to find yourself that if you do come into town and say it's 10 o'clock this morning and you go home and return again at three o'clock today. That hour, you haven't got that, that hour free at three o'clock today. Yeah, we, we, yeah. We thought I remember that people getting caught, and I think I, you know, I think in fairness that that's fair enough. And the one thing, like nobody likes to pay for parking for sure, but the one thing about pay parking, Tony, and I'm sure you'd agree, when pay parking is in place, people get in, do what they need to do and get out and don't leave the car there all day. When you don't have pay parking, it can be difficult to get parking when you need to get it. Yes, because when it was free that time, uh, since Christmas, from Christmas to July, when the shops had to be opening after the COVID era, uh, there was mixed messages, to be honest. Some people wanted parking brought back because it was regularising it, mm. and more people wanted it free. Now, look, I think it's a good system now. It's it's The first hour is free. It's 17, 80 cents. It's 70 cents in the car parks, and it's 80 cents on the main street. And obviously, it it generates money. It generates revenue, doesn't it, for for Cork County Council? Absolutely, yeah. And like like Park County Council are now uh, managing the pay parking themselves. They have we have two traffic wardens, two police wardens in the town, and they're doing a good job. And their main job, Patricia, would be to keep the traffic flowing in Mallow. Okay, and that's what everybody wants for sure. That's what everybody wants. Yeah. All and, right. And I think, to be honest, I think they're doing a good job. Okay. Uh, so that's. That's the up-to-date position. But look, okay. by the end of this week, Patricia, we're hoping to have all the signage. Park County Council have given a commitment to have all the signage in place, proper signage. Clearly signage. stating, because as well, it is tourist season and people will be visiting and you don't want you don't want tourists or people visiting the area can give a bad image. <laughs> There's a bad taste in your mouth if you walk away with a parking fine. OK, listen, Tony, thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Fina Gale. Councillor for North Court, that is Tony O'Shea, 0818 We had a call in earlier from Joan in Fremont. Listen to this. This is, this is again one of those frustrating things when we're trying to do our bit for tourism and we're trying to do, uh, the Green Party will tell you, get out of your car and get onto your bus and use public transport. Listen to the story from Joan in Fremont. She is a student from Austria 
who is living with her at the moment. She's here to learn English and she's also studying uh, agriculture, which is a lovely thing to do. And this young Austrian girl has a friend who is living on a farm and they decided that they would head to Kinsale. Weather was nice. They'd have a nice day down in beautiful Kinsale. So Joan's student was to get the bus from Bottevant. It was the 10.25am bus from Bottevant and then meet her friend in Mallow. But the problem was the bus in Bottevant didn't arrive on time and it actually passed through five minutes earlier than Joan's when, when Joan's student got there. It was actually gone because it arrived five minutes early. It then meant that it arrived in Mallow five minutes earlier and Joan says according to Joan the driver got out and had a bit of a break made up the five minutes but waited but didn't wait the five minutes in Bottevant. So Joan said they drove the student to Mallow she then had to get on the train. So she ended up getting the 10.45am train and then met up with her friend in Cork. Happy days. They then went to get the bus to Kinsale. Guess what? That bus was full. So they decided they'd go to Crosshaven instead. So they got one-way tickets on the bus to Crosshaven. It was 2.45, quarter to three by the time they got there. Bearing in mind now, they're up and ready from 10 in the morning. So 2.45, quarter to three in the afternoon. They only had a few hours then on the beach. Then they didn't need to come home. They tried to return, but every single bus drove past them. They were all full. They ended up then finally getting the very last bus out of Crosshaven back to Cork City. But Joan says that the two students described it as being crowded in like sardines. When they eventually got back to the city, the student had to contact Joan. She had no way then of getting back to Mallow and on to Bottevant. So Joan ended up having to drive from Bottevant into the city to collect the two of them. Joan's point is why are there not extra buses put on particularly when there's going to be a fine spell of weather. They know the days that the people are going to want to go to the beaches. She feels it gives a very, very bad impression of Ireland, particularly to these two young foreign students. You can imagine them telling that story when they go home or if they hear somebody else in Austria who's planning on visiting Ireland, you can imagine the story that they will be uh, telling. And Joan, we all knew the fine weather. I mean, we were talking about it all last week. The Azores High was coming up and we were all looking forward to the to the weather. We knew that people would be flocking to the beach. So yeah, it would make sense. Wouldn't it make hay while the sun shines? The bus companies uh, certainly would make extra money by putting on extra buses and I'm assuming they, would they have extra buses available? But you would you would think that they should have if not extra buses, the frequency of the buses that they'd put them on, maybe if they only run every hour that they'd run them or if they run say every 15 minutes that they'd run every 10 minutes or, or whatever. Anyway, it's uh, disappointing for the two girls as well who wanted to spend some time on one of our beautiful beaches. Uh, 0818 103 103. Bernie is taking your calls. And Pat said to the lady who has the problem with the crows and the family, they're awake early in the morning and it's the little autistic child is the one that break your heart has to wear these noise defender headphones all the time noise cancelling headphones all the time going around the house normally this child only wears those noise cancelling headphones when they're out because they don't like any kind of loud noises but the crows are making so much noise can't keep it out the noise coming into the house so he's going they're going around with the little noise cancelling headphones on which can't be comfortable to be living with that all day long and people were giving suggestions on how to get rid of the crows Pat says Patricia tell that woman not to interfere with the crows and I'm wondering Pat because you say 
say no more than that. I'm wondering why you're saying tell that woman not to interfere with the clothes. She can't keep living the way she's living and the child with with autism really finding it really upsetting to have the no- these, these crows making that noise all I don't know if they do it all day or certain times of the day and they're all exhausted because they're awake early in the morning with the noise uh, from them so I don't know get back to me and let me know on your text why you're saying don't interfere with them Mike in West Cork oh, this is a bit extreme but it might work says you need to get a dead crow now where do you get a dead crow and put it high up on a stick in the garden and if you hang a dead crow it'll scare the other crows away Ugh. listen needs must if you get really desperate you probably would try something like that thank you for your suggestion to 0818 103 103 Record today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 103 103 The annual Make Your Mark on Cancer charity walk is back and will be held next Sunday July 17th with the challenge of walking from the viaduct in to the town hall in Abandon. That's a total of a mere 22 kilometres. All proceeds going to the Mercy Cancer Care Centre. To preview this year's event, I'm joined by Pascal McCarthy. And Pascal is the CEO of the Mercy Hospital Foundation. Good morning to you, Pascal. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and, and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, due to the pandemic, the walk hasn't gone ahead, obviously, for the past two years. And though I think they did a virtual one, if I remember rightly, uh, last year. So are you expecting an even bigger turnout this year? We would, be, we would be hoping for it. And given the weather we're having at the minute, it, it would be fantastic. So if, if this weather keeps up, uh, we expect the numbers to be out in great force. Now, just the history on this, it was originally set up in 2013, wasn't it? It was to remember Bandon man Mark Prendergast, hence that make your mark on cancer. His name is actually in it. He sadly died in 2012 uh, from cancer. A lot of money has been raised in Mark's memory since. Yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic effort by his family and friends. Um, and it's, a, it's a lovely play on his name, make yeah. your mark on cancer. Uh, they've raised over 367,000 to date, which is incredible. Uh, over, over the 10 years of it, um, this is, as you say, the 10th anniversary, but we did miss out a couple of years, 10th anniversary of his death. Um, so it's it's a tremendous um, effort by them. They, unfortunately, are a family who, at the time, suffered the trauma of losing a loved one when the services that we will be providing in the Cancer Care Centre were not available to them, the, the, the psychology services. So they understand the benefit that this will bring to uh, to patients of, of mercy, and that's that's fantastic. And it, it really shows the, the, the care they, they, they put into it and their mem- mem- memory of their brother. Yeah, and I know over the years, Pascal, I've spoken with various members of uh, Mark's family or his his friends, you know, and and they set out, I think, initially just to do something to remember him. I mean, they could never have have realised that, like, 367,000, it's it's a massive sum of money to raise. Phenomenal. And it, it, it's, it's classic of these kind of things where you have a dedicated team. They grow organically to be something that was never envisaged and... You know, they they could have had one walk and called it a day at that. But they're such a dedicated bunch and Mark meant so much to them that yeah. they've, they've kept going with it. And it, 
as you say, it's a phenomenal amount of money. And the effort they put into to achieve it, it's, it's difficult to describe. But well, it's listen, I, th- I think it's great. And I know there are people that literally have been there from day one who haven't missed a walk. And then every year they get new people to join in. It It, yeah. it is uh, terrific. So talk to me a little bit, Pascal, about what you would hope to do with any funds raised next Sunday. Well, well the funds raised are, are primarily to go to our, our cancer appeal. And in, in this case, they'll be used for the um, the Mercy Cancer Care Centre, which is a building we're beginning to... Uh, we're going to break around on it in the next four to five weeks. It's Brilliant. across the road from the Tyndall. It will have... It, it will house our, our, as I call them, our anchor tenant of this psycho-oncology service, which is, is unique in Ireland. We're the only ones who will have um, a, a psychologist-led... Um, service for patients uh, of the mercy suffering from cancer and their families who are going through a horrendous time and it's, it's great to be able to have that service there. So we're we're converting the building. It's, an, it's a fabulous Georgian building. It will have, when we're finished, have several uh, group and in, individual counselling rooms, uh, coffee station, waiting room, library, sensory garden, that kind of, that kind of thing. So it's It'll be a fantastic building, a fantastic uh, addition to to the Mercy and to Cork. So when would you hope, I know you're saying you're, you're talking about starting work on it in, in the next number of weeks. When would you hope to have it open and up and running, Pascal? Um, we're told by the builders 12 to 13 months to, to get there. So at the minute, we're, we closed tenders a few weeks ago. We reviewed the tenders two weeks back. We're now in the process of interviewing the the, the preferred candidates, uh, a main contractor, or candidate rather. Um, hopefully we'll be breaking ground in the next four to five weeks and give it 12 months from that. So what are we talking about, July, August next year? That's fine. So, so hopefully this time next year, when we're talking about the Make Your Mark on Cancer Walk, we might also be including a date for when you're officially opening. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. We, we should have that if, if we're not even... I doubt if we'd be open by then, but we'd be very... Yeah, very close to us. Yeah, very close very to us. That's, to yeah. We'll, we'll be really positive and everything will go according to plan. And I love the I love the idea behind it and the fact that this almost holistic approach and that it's not just... I mean, the, obviously the patient who's been diagnosed with the cancer, you know, for obvious reasons, so much focus and attention must go on them, but their families need the yeah. type of support you're talking about. Absolutely. And we've been, you know, as a, a nation, we've been great down the years at, at treating the medical side of cancer and, and developing new therapies for that and all that kind of stuff. But this is taking it now into, into the psychological side, which tended to, you know, we didn't have that service before. So it'd be fantastic um, to, to, to have that side as well and look after the, the, the patient and the family because it is a very traumatic time and it can be, you know, um, Cancer patients who suffer depression tend to have 30, 35% longer stays in hospital, longer, uh, much greater medical bills, all that kind of stuff. And if we can, if we can alleviate some of that, it's, it's, a, it's a huge step forward. Well done. Well, well, well done. And during the pandemic, Pascal, I, I take it that the Mercy, Hosp- the Mercy Hospital Foundation, along with all other charities, did you struggle with fundraising? Funnily enough, the people of Cork were absolutely tremendous during the, the, the COVID crisis. We raised more money than we ever raised, but for our COVID appeal, 
the the business community of Cork, the the private citizens of Cork, really stepped up to the plate and, and helped. And I'm sure they did for the other charities as well with COVID appeals. Because it was, it was a, a frightening time for all of us. We didn't know what we were facing into. And, um, it, it just, you know, we were looking for PPE and all of that kind of stuff. It's language we know now, but we didn't know. I remember ago. the early days, yeah, hospitals scrambling to get PPE gear. Yeah, yeah. and the, the, the people of Cork were fantastic. They really stepped up to the plate at the time. Brilliant so. to hear. Brilliant Hopefully they'll do it again next week. Okay, they will. Okay, next Sunday, somebody says, can you still enter next Sunday's walk or are the entries closed? No, you can, of course. There's two options. You can go on to uh, Make Your Mark's own uh, website or you can go on to the Mercy Hospital Foundation website or you can you can register on the morning. Registration will open at 8 o'clock at the viaduct and the walk will start at 9. So there's plenty of time to, to get involved. It's it, 25 euros entry fee or if you take a, um, a sponsorship card and commit to filling it obviously yeah. <laughs> you, get, you, you, you don't have to pay the 25, the 25 euro okay yeah. Yeah. and if anybody is out and about driving along the route keep a look out for the, the walkers it, it's, it's quite spectacular to see that many people walking from the viaduct uh, to Abandon and normally a bit of kind of a hoolie afterwards isn't there a little bit of an event oh yeah it was Sore, 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 sore feet being put up for <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of resuscitation always helps. Yeah, listen, it's, it's great, and we want to wish everybody from uh, all the Prendergast family and all of Mark's friends, because I know there's so many people get involved to make sure that this walk is a huge uh, success. And they were so disappointed that they weren't able to have walks the last uh, two uh, years. So may the sun be shining down, but not too hot. You don't want. <laughs> we don't want 25 degrees at nine o'clock in the morning for the walk for no, sure. No. Uh, will you do it yourself, Pascal? I will, of course. Yeah. Will you? Well done. Yeah. Well yeah. done. Well done. We wish you luck with your walk then. Thank uh, you very and much. thanks a million for joining us. Uh, good okay. morning Take to care. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Pascal bye-bye. McCarthy there, who is the CEO of the Mercy Hospital Foundation ahead of the Make Your Mark on uh, Cancer next Sunday, the 17th of July. And the website's www.makeyourmark.ie. Or as Pascal said, the Mercy Hospital, Dave, theirs is www.mercyfundraising.ie. A little bit of advice in for the gentleman who has just discovered that their driving licence is out of date and they need to bring the van to the DOE centre on Friday and therefore they need to have a valid driving licence in order to, to get the DOE test done at the centre. Somebody says, tell that man with his van on Friday to get somebody else to drive the van for the test. It doesn't have to be the person who owns the van that brings the van to the centre and that other person can produce their driving licence. Whoever whoever brings the van to the DOE centre that has to have a valid driving licence. So that's just an, an extra piece of advice for that listener in case they don't get their driving licence in, ta- in time rather than miss out on the test at the DOE centre. Oh wait, thank you for that. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and a lovely handwritten letter in the post today it's lovely to still receive handwritten letters with people giving their comments in that way as well and this is listener thank you for your nice words about the programme it says now Patricia uh, the reason for the letter I think the day has come when Catholic priests should be allowed to get married a good few years ago I did some Bible studies and it was written in the Bible that one day they were all looking for St Peter and they were told he was gone visiting his mother-in-law 
So why and when did all that change? I felt the reason that it changed was they were sparing the money. The scarcity of priests, Catholic priests today, something needs to be done. And maybe this is the solution to allow Catholic priests to marry. It could bring back the good old days of Jesus on this earth. And that signed a daily listener to the programme who then also very kindly enclosed €50 for a charity of my choice. And I will get that to a charity that is looking after so many people at the moment because there's so much need at the moment with people in food poverty and I still can't get my head around that people going to bed hungry because they can't afford enough food and we know parents having spoke with people like Bernardo's having spoke with people like Society of St Vincent de Paul parents will skip meals in order to make sure that their children don't go to bed hungry so thank you for that very generous donation of 50 euro and just on donations this on Friday I think I'm sure it was on Friday I got a donation of 100 euro for the Galley Head Swim. We had done an interview last week with Justin Crowley, one of the organisers of the Galley Head Swim for 2022 and somebody very kindly sent me on €100. Euro. Didn't know how to get it to the organisers of the Galley Head Swim so we got it on to the gang um, and that fundraiser of course happened yesterday or was it Saturday? It's yesterday I'm sure. No it was Saturday. Sorry, my apologies. It was on uh, Saturday and um, they've raised huge sums of money over the last number of years since this event started and proceeds go to the wonderful Marymount Hospice, the West Cork Underwater Search and Rescue. And this year they decided to tag on a third charity, which is the Irish Community Air Ambulance. And I was looking at photographs online and they had a glorious day on Saturday for, for it. So well done to everyone that took part in the Galleyhead swim. But just to acknowledge that person who sent on that donation for them. They did arrive safe and sound and we sent it on. Thank you for that. 0818 103 103. Back to the issue of the crows causing a great bit of nuisance to one of our listeners. They're exhausted. They're awake so early in the morning from the noise of these uh, birds. Mandy says, Patricia, regarding the crows, tell that family that they should go online and look for a hawk on a pole. I don't know what a hawk on a pole is, but something that will frighten off the other uh, crows. Also, this is from Mandy. Mandy suggests maybe if you go on to YouTube, YouTube are great for coming up with solutions to problems. Maybe if you put in how to get rid of crows in your garden, there might be a solution on YouTube as well, which is not, not a bad suggestion. Thank you for that, uh, Mandy. And then in on, oh, do you remember Mike in West Cork was on about a dead crow, to get a dead crow, put a dead crow, he was saying, up on some kind of a pole and that it would scare off the other crows. Tim is on saying Mike in is spot on in West Cork is spot on with his suggestion. Tim says it's an age old solution and they used to be used by farmers and gardeners. I don't know if they still use it, but it was certainly used in the past. So says Tim. And then we had a voice note in. And don't forget, you can always use voice notes and send them in to us on WhatsApp. This came in from Eileen in Mahan. If you pick up a dead crow off the road and hang it in the highest point of your garden, the crows will not come near. There you go, because I was about to ask... 
where would you get a dead crow? But Eileen has the solution. You'll often, if you're, and, and particularly in a rural area, you might see a dead crow. It's just the whole idea of picking up a dead crow. But, you know, as I said, needs must with this family. This lady really is desperate to try to get a solution because of the fact that the ch- little child with the autism is really being affected by the noise of the birds. 0818 103 103. Michael, on the planning issue that we discussed earlier and the problems that people have in getting one-off planning permission in rural areas. Michael says, Patricia, how many houses are held up to a point of sale as planning permission hasn't been fully complied with? Things like entrance entrance walls, pillars, gates, landscaping. I could go on and on. Planning is not complied with until all of the little things are done as per the drawing. And that's, I'm assuming, is in reaction to somebody said, do the planners ever come out and check that the person did exactly what they said they would do as per planning? Now, they may not, but as Michael has pointed out, then the problem is it's all well and good if the planners don't know what's going on and people are living away. But the day that that house needs to get sold, if everything isn't done as per the planning permission, that's where problems arise. Thank you for that, Michael. WhatsApping 0862103103. Hi, Patricia, you were talking about free parking in Mallow earlier. I was, and it's back in Mallow. Kinsale and in Bandon since the 1st of July during the COVID era for the two years, the, had the council had wavered pay parking but it's back now and just to warn people you could end up getting a parking ticket but as Councillor uh, Tony um, O'Shea was pointing out to us there's free on the streets it's free one hour parking and um, and then you don't have, you pay for your parking after that and Tony was making the point it allows people to drive to Mallow get into their business and be back in the car and gone within the hour but then Mary says with regard to that free parking for the one hour how can you prove what time you arrived in the car park or on the street I have never availed of the free parking because says Mary I'm always fearful that I might not be able to prove when I actually arrived at 11 and I'm back at 10 to 12 and there's a parking ticket on it and is it my word against the traffic warden I don't know if that has come up Mary if people have been having a dispute or an argument I think what happens is the parking wardens are going around and they're logging the cars and the time that they see the car parked there and then your hour starts from that I don't know if I've heard of anyone I have a tendency if I think I'm going to be over the hour you know the way you've great plans I'll get in and get out really quick but if I think oh what if I got delayed there or or if there was a queue somewhere I have a tendency then but if I'm literally parking on the street and I know I'm going into one shop and one shop only to pick up something or to purchase something and I know for sure I'm going to be back within the hour I certainly avail of the one hour free parking uh, then so if you're going to be doing something quickly I would be saying no don't be putting your money in Uh, hang on to your hard earned cash yourself 0818 103 103 staying on driving Mary says Patricia I was going from Mallow to Charleville on Saturday I have to say the speed of the cars on the road was actually frightening, particularly on that stretch of road between Mallow and Charleville coming up to the bends. I'm I'm assuming this is going into Bosfront, is it the, the Ballybeg bends? She said, Mary says, the speed that people were overtaking on those bends, would you please put a shout out and ask drivers, would they please, please 
slow down the speed on our roads really and I know thank you for that Mary of course Saturday was a beautiful day whatever it is and the Gardaí will back me up on this whatever it is when we get fine weather and you'll notice this yourself keep a look out the window when you're driving along now I wasn't driving at the weekend obviously I did I hope he was the designated driver so I was able to join the scenery and I did notice as we were driving there was, a, there was there does seem to be excessive speed. Now, I was on the motorways because we've got the Australians home on holidays. So we went to Clonmel to visit over the weekend. So I was on the motorway traveling from Mallow up to Clonmel. And there does seem to be excessive speed. It's just when a car overtakes you and you're already on the motorway and you know, you know you're doing, you know, and I know on a motorway you can do 120 uh, kilometres and you're doing the 120 or close to 120 and a car shoots by you. You're thinking they've got to be doing way more than 120. If I'm driving at 120, what speed is that lunatic doing? And it seems to tie in with good weather. I don't know why, but that stretch of road that Mary's talking about is a dangerous stretch of road. There's really bad bends there and God knows people have been killed on that road in in the past it really is very stupid so if everyone could just please slow down a little bit that is our message to everyone this morning and I saw and I just can't find it somebody was on about petrol and diesel prices and petrol and diesel because we're trying to get people to keep a lookout for petrol and diesel prices to see if it is starting our petrol and diesel prices starting to fall and what we're looking for petrol and diesel prices that go under the two euro mark they've kind of been at the two euro mark now for quite some time and somebody was on and I just can't have so many texts coming in this morning somebody was on to say that they saw it was definitely in Rathcormac they saw petrol or diesel on sale for 199.9 so just under the two euro mark and they this morning had just been in there it is um, they were just just this morning I was in Middleton and I saw diesel on sale for two euro 17.9 and yet last night in Rathcormac it was 199.9 says Jay so it is worth keeping an eye on when you're passing a petrol station by law they all have to have big signs up saying how much the petrol and the diesel is and we do know that the price changes and can change a couple of times in the week and that is to do with the day that people that the garage owner gets a delivery in and they obviously set their prices based on how much they buy in the petrol and uh, the diesel. So there is a difference, but that certainly is the first to go under the two euro mark. Have many other people spotted petrol or diesel under the two euro mark? We need to go under the two euro mark and continue to fall because we know on the world market, the barrel of oil has certainly come down in price. 0818 103 103 with a reminder to you that we are looking for your Questions for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now, the newly reopened Hannah's Bar, that was previously Griffin's in Scanakilla, on the the Mallow to Kildallery Road. They are inviting senior citizens to join them every Monday afternoon between 2 and 5. They're having a little 
talent competition every single Monday afternoon with a winning prize of €100 Euro for a local charity of your choice. And they're saying to senior citizens, come along. Great fun is guaranteed. Now, if you have a talent, bring it along. But I'm sure if you haven't and you just want to go and enjoy everybody else performing, you're, you feel free to do that. And it is free of charge. Well done. That's at Hannah's Bar, previously Griffin's in Scanakilla, Monday afternoons, 2 to 5. Shambhali Moore Bingo is on every Tuesday night. It's on tomorrow night at 8. They've got a jackpot this week of €2,300. All are welcome. The Avenue Blackwater Partnership will hold an information session entitled Everything You Want to Know About LGBTQI+. But we're afraid to ask. It's in Formoy Youth Centre on Wednesday, 13th of July from 11am to 12 noon. Refreshments will be provided and there will be information leaflets to take uh, away. And there will be a Kaylee in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic on Friday night. That's from half nine to half twelve with music by Jerry McCarthy. Mission 10 euro, which does include teas. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818-103-103. Keep your questions coming in for Annalise Drussell. She'll join us in a couple of minutes. But just let me wrap up on some of your commentary coming in this morning on the price of petrol and uh, diesel. Hi, Patricia. I was up the west at the weekend. Petrol and diesel at one station was at two euro and two cent. It certainly was the best that we could see for petrol and for uh, diesel. So just hovering at the two euro mark. Yeah, thank you for that. And certainly the listener who said um, Swift in Rathcormac have it at, well, they had it last night at 199.9. So just under the two euro mark. Haven't seen anybody else match that for everybody else. It seems to be well over the two euro mark, but it, it, it hopefully is starting to fall, but it needs to fall by a lot, I think, for people to notice the difference. We were talking, thank you for those texts. We were talking about the pandemic payment earlier Listen to Hi Patricia I think the government should be paying the €1,000 pandemic payment known as a recognition payment to private nursing homes to the staff in fairness look at all of the deaths that occurred in nursing homes so the staff that worked there definitely definitely worked very closely with Covid positive uh, patients look at all the money that they've given to the school allowance this uh, week they should be paying the staff who worked and in our hospitals and in our nursing homes and just staying on the back to school clothing and footwear allowance somebody else was on about that saying I've just seen the mad back to school increase that families are to get. My tax is paying for that. I wonder how much of that money does actually go towards school things and not their family holiday to Spain. I'd love a holiday but I can't have one because I can't afford it, afford it and I don't have kids. Why should I be paying for somebody else? Okay. A couple of issues there. Firstly why you should be paying, why everybody contributes to schemes like that even families that don't have children is because one day please God you will reach happy retirement age and then you will be retiring and you will be on a state pension either contributory or non-contributory and those children who as families are receiving the back to school clothing and footwear allowance please God will have got their education and they will have gone out to work and it's their taxes will pay for your old age pension that's just the way it works that's the way the cycle of our society works but just on the back to school clothing and uh, footwear allowance it's this week it's getting paid out but the one just to warn people the 100 euro extra that got announced last week 
that won't get paid into people's bank accounts are until next uh, Monday. And the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, just to let people know, it's still open for applications and the applications remain open until the 30th of September. Currently, they reckon 124,000 families will automatically get paid just because they received it last year. But of course, circumstances change for people and you may not have been entitled to this allowance last year but you may be entitled to it this year so you can still claim for that allowance up to the 30th of September. And what that listener is giving out about the extra money that's been paid out, that got announced last week by Heather Humphreys, the Minister with Responsibility for Social Protection, and she increased it. Now, it is for one year only for this year, for 2022. It's an extra €100 per child, for example, four to 11-year-olds. Normally, in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance, they get €160. They get €260 for this year. And for the older children, which is 12 and over, those going to secondary school, they normally get €285 this year per child over the age of 12. They will get €385. But the payment is going to be made in two stages. For those who receive their allowance today, the original award amount will be paid this week and the additional €100 payment for qualifying children will be paid next year. Because I know what's going to happen. People will go to to, to their banks or their credit union or wherever they get their, their money paid into and see I didn't get my 100 euro what's going on there I'm assuming they just because the announcement was made so close to the date that the payment was being made they're going to have to do it over two payments so it's next week the extra 100 euro will be paid out and Ukrainian families who moved to Ireland who have children going to primary school and we know many of the little Ukrainians are going to primary and secondary school uh, they are also will benefit from this scheme but to any other family if you think this year you may be entitled to the back to school clothing and footwear allowance just to let you know you can still apply up to and including the 30th of uh, September and then somebody else was on to us Danny in Hazelwood talking about the electricity bills are going up again well certainly for Electric Ireland they're going up again from because the 1st of August Electric Ireland are putting up both their electricity charges and they're also putting up their gas uh, charges. Danny feels that the government should be having a mini budget now uh, for nothing else to help the elderly. Well remember, thank you for that Danny, remember last week we were talking about the price of a bag of coal and that in many ways affects older people because older people have a tendency to buy more coal and live in houses that only have an open fire and therefore need to buy more coal and they feel the cold more than other people that may be more mobile. And last week we mentioned the price of a bag of coal and some listeners who are buying coal throughout the summer to try to stock up for the winter months are saying, Patricia, did you realise that the price of a bag of coal is is going up and seems to be going up all the time and some of the coal merchants are warning their customers that the price of a bag of fuel the price of a bag of coal is going to go up and then today I was reading a piece by Ralph Regal he's writing in the Irish Independent today and he says that householders are facing a home heating crisis this winter and it is going to be thousands of rural families particularly those that depend on coal In this is scary according to Ralph in the paper today there is the prospect that the price of a bag of coal 
could actually double in price and this is tied in with the outright ban on smoky coal. We know that home heating oil has gone up. We know that gas has gone up. They're all at record levels. But householders now face a third major blow with coal prices rocketing and with the government set to go ahead with this national ban on the so-called smoky coal. A 40 kg bag of premium coal last winter what would it have cost you? €28. Euro. But fears are mounting that even if coal merchants are allowed to sell the smoky coal this winter, as parts say they might introduce a phased withdrawal, they still reckon that prices will store to between €50 euro and €55 euro a bag. That's as a direct result of the fallout of the war in Ukraine. And coal, coal merchants all over the country are warning that in a worst case scenario, a bag of coal could even reach €60. Euro. And it was €28 last year. That's just incredible. Pensioners living in rural towns and villages, they are the ones traditionally that are reliant on coal for an open fire and maybe they have a a stove. They obviously are the ones who are going to be hit the most. And I know Michael Fitzmaurice that we mentioned last week, he's a rural TD for Roscommon and Carlo. He was one of the first to come out and talk about because he'd been speaking with coal merchants in his area and he said the situation facing rural families who are dependent on coal and turf for heating. He says it's going to be a very serious one next uh, winter. One coal importer who didn't want to be named was saying that what's happening with Ireland is we're in a catch-22 situation. If the government does decide to impose an outright ban on smoky coal, there will be a major challenge. If they don't, global market pressure and uncertainty over Ireland's policy will see the price go up anyway. And obviously then what it'll do, it'll ultimately achieve for the government what it wants to do, a ban on smoky coal, it'll come in through the back door. The problem is compounded by by this uncertainty over whether major coal shipments order for Ireland can even be sold this winter. Eamon Ryan has yet to clarify precisely when he will proceed with legislation which will outline smoky coal sales. Minister Ryan has been obviously an outspoken advocate for smoky coal, all to do with climate change and health reasons and all of that. A department spokesperson said that the announcement over the proposed ban will be made next week. Now, this is the last week. There are holidays after this week. He needs to say for sure, is he going to completely put this ban on smoky coal or will he go for a phased withdrawal instead? Because obviously for coal merchants, they're in a right pickle they don't know what they need to be ordering because they've got a problem. If they do put in a major order for smoky coal and get it now, while the price is already rising, but get it before it really goes even higher. But they are fearful of that they put in a major order that they then could be left with all of these supplies and they're not going to be able to sell them because there'll be a nationwide ban on smoky coal. So I can see, I absolutely can see the dilemma they are in. But there's also obviously a global demand for uh, coal and this has got a lot to do with Russia and the coal shipments are all subject to EU and US sanctions. But the global demand is to do with the fact that natural gas supplies has rocketed. It's gone up in some cases close to 800% and that's in less than 12 months. So many gas-fired power stations, 
they're being supplemented on the international grid by using coal fired stations that these were the ones that had been earmarked for closure but they are now a cheaper alternative for generating electricity so there's a bigger demand for coal and Irish merchants are concerned that amid a lack of clarity on the domestic market major coal shipments cannot be undertaken because they don't want to be stranded with what will be unsaleable stock in the event of this coal ban so really the Environment Minister Eamon Ryan really needs to move on this one and as I say saying that there's a, a gov- somebody in, in his spokesperson saying that the, there will be announcement next week I mean this is the last week of the government they're on holidays probably Friday Thursday Friday they're going to break up this is the last week of the, the doll sitting so hopefully there will be some clarity particularly for the coal merchants if nothing else 0818 103 103 Bernie's taking your calls because John Paul's on his holidays you can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 questions for Annalise Drussell please on Nutrition and Therapy Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103103. Sorry, we're going to head to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballangolic, where we're joined by Annalise Drussell for our nutritional uh, slot. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And isn't it glorious, wonderful, warm weather? Absolutely. Isn't the nicest thing I think about all of this is being able to sit outside in the evenings. Yeah. until 9 or 10 o'clock and it's still warm That's I never get I love that feeling never, I never get tired of it yeah, never get tired of it ok uh, kind of a relevant uh, question the first one in somebody said even though I did put on sunscreen yesterday I am a little bit sunburnt uh, today it's quite stingy what would Annalise t- suggest to take the sting away so the best thing really is aloe vera gel um, try and get the 99% gel if you can um, Aloe Pure are a company that do a good one and you can put it in the fridge as well actually and that's really lovely and soothing so aloe vera is always really really good for any burns not just sunburn but even if you were to burn yourself on the cooker or, or anything um, it's great to use for that and just make sure that you keep moisturising you probably will peel which is fine but it's just really to prevent the skin from getting too dry and cracked because that's painful so the aloe vera gel for the burn and then a good skin cream afterwards I always love um, skin creams with shea butter in there and the other thing that's great as well is the calendula and I'm actually using at the moment Patricia one of the Dr. Delish Clare um, anti-scar cream and it was going out of date here in the shop so I said oh, I'll, I'll use that myself and I'm using it as a face cream and it's absolutely lovely is as a it? face cream yeah. so it's the calendula in there it's just so softening for skin yeah yeah and of course I know that it's just said they put sunscreen on it's reapplying it is the issue isn't Absolutely and especially with this heat as well Patricia because you sweat it off and even the one to be honest that they say you put on for the full day I don't think it's waterproof and sweatproof in this kind of heat so to be sure just keep putting it on Um, and then I think the other good uh, advice really is to sit in the shade between sort of 12 o'clock and maybe 2 o'clock even. Mm. And lots of fluids keep up the fluids. fluids, Keep the sun off your head a hat is a great thing. I've only really gotten into it since I'm a bit older. I wouldn't wear them when I was younger, but a sun is a great thing. It prevents the sun headache as well from the heat. Okay. Now, hi, a question please for Annalise. And this is, I think there'll be a lot of people nodding with this one. Would Annalise please have any advice on how to lose weight around the middle? I don't seem to be carrying weight anywhere else, just this spare tyre. And to be honest, it's really getting me down. Very difficult one, Patricia. So there's different 
basically two kind of women for women, two kind of basic shapes, apple shape and pear shape. So apple shape genetically you're more inclined to put weight on around the middle and pear shape you're more inclined to put it on around the uh, hips and thighs. Um, but I think after menopause, women, even if they've never put weight on, on the top, will start putting it on their tummies. And I definitely think there must be a link with the thyroid. Now, this, again, is not scientific, but it's really only my observation over the years. So I think our, when after with menopause, I do think our thyroid slow down slightly. A lot of women will find it really easy to put on weight and really hard to lose it. So I think probably the worst thing for the weight around the middle is sugar and simple carbohydrates like white rice, white bread, white pasta. So I think to lose it, you have to go on a lower carb diet. So you can still have plenty carbs in the form of vegetables and you can have fruits, you can have nuts and seeds, they all have carbohydrates, but cut out your bread, your pasta, your potatoes, um, all obviously all sugar and go easy on the alcohol as well because that does put it on around the middle. Um, in terms of supplements, a couple of ones that we find are good. NAC is one that we've been recommending recently for COVID and post-viral, uh, post the long COVID, especially for people who have remnants of chestiness. But actually, I use that every year as part of a detox in, in January program, and it definitely helps me curb my sugar cravings. So that's a very good one to try. Um, the NAC Plus from Viridian has got cinnamon and chromium in there, so that specifically is very, very good for sugar cravings. And then in terms of supplements, there is one called conjugated linoleic acid, or CLA, and that is the only one really with a lot of evidence behind it that can help you burn fat as a fuel, so it might help with the weight around the middle as well. So that's CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, and the NAC Plus by Viridian. I'd recommend the two of those. Okay, Mary has what she describes as a pulsating feeling in her left arm, ongoing for a while. Would Annalise have any idea of what it is, or is that something she should go to her doctor about? Don't really know, but I'd say it's nothing serious, Patricia. Sometimes it would, I'd get one in my hand as well, or sometimes even just in an eye, you feel it's like a kind of a muscle that's contracting and relaxing very, very quickly, so it's almost like a tick. Um... I would say it's nothing serious. Unless you start getting numbness or pain in the hands, then you would think that there might be something to do with nerve damage or a trapped nerve. I would suggest starting off by rubbing magnesium oil into it and see can you support the muscle. Because if there's a muscle that's going into a little spasm, that might sort that out. Um, and then possibly a visit to a physio I always or an acupuncturist. I always find um, I go to a great um, physical therapist called Frida Devoren. She's in and she does dry needling and I find that that's great for muscles that are stuck like that. So acupuncture or a bit of dry needling from a physical therapist and magnesium oil. Okay, uh, some cholesterol questions. I'll put the two in together here. First one is my cholesterol level uh, seems to be going up. I'm now at 6.1, the highest it's ever been. Is there anything you would recommend, Annalise, taking to bring it down food-wise or a natural supplement that one could take? And then there was another one in on cholesterol saying, could you ask Annalise, please, can I take zero call to speed up the work that the statins do for the lowering of cholesterol? definitely can take xerocol at the same time. Xerocol is made up of things called plant sterols and what they do is they fool the body into thinking that we've enough cholesterol made by the liver because actually we don't really take too much cholesterol in in the diet. Our liver makes it from saturated fats 
Um, and there are times when your liver will make too much. I often see it with women around menopause, but diet plays a part as well. So the plant sterols fool the body into thinking you've already made enough cholesterol. And it's the same kind of thing that's in the benicols and the flora proactives and things like that. You need at least 1.6 grams a day for it to have any difference. And they can be safely taken with a statin uh, to bring down cholesterol. In terms of diet, definitely limiting your saturated fat um, will help cut down in your cholesterol and increase your good fats. So increase the fats from oily fish, nuts and seeds. Um, these will help bring up the good cholesterol as well. And the other lovely thing they do for your heart health is they do keep your blood nice and flowy and, and less likely to st- be sticky and clotty. So that does help in terms of blood pressure and, and prevention of stroke as well. Um, the Mediterranean diet, Patricia, of all the diets, and there is years of research behind this. It is the one that is the most healthy for really everything. Um, it you know, can help reduce al- allergies, reduce asthma. It's definitely the most heart healthy. It's definitely brain healthy. So it cuts down on your risk of all of those diseases. And again, effectively, the Mediterranean diet has got limited meat, limited red meat. So maybe once or twice a week red meat. Eggs and cheese, limited as well, no more than three or four times a week. And then lots of fish, lots of um nuts and seeds, whole grains, plenty of fruits and vegetables, um, and lots of legumes, so lentils, chickpeas, kidney beans, all of those. And they also recommend a glass of red wine a day. And the other lovely thing about the Mediterranean diet is to eat in the company of family and friends, and that's very important. Then other products that will help bring down your cholesterol, the extract of red rice yeast, has got a substance in there called monocolon K and it does exactly the same thing as the statin to bring your cholesterol down but it does for a lot of my customers they don't get the same side effects so that's another alternative to the zero gall or the plant sterols Okay, I saw a documentary online about the Mediterranean diet and it was French women who never put on weight and uh, they don't understand dieting, they don't know what it is, they eat beautiful foods every day but like that it's shared with families and putting down their knife and fork and having a glass of wine with their meal and it's a sociable event and it was just, it actually made so much sense but very much following the Mediterranean diet. It does and actually Patricia, the French as well, they eat very slowly and they don't eat large portions. Yeah, that's it. So like yeah. I had a French friend and she was horrified that we would eat chips with lasagna. She was saying like, why are you having so many <laughs> carbohydrates with your meal? So, um, and it's portion size. So they eat a little bit of all of the good foods, but they don't eat a lot. And that's it. It's everything in moderation. But how many times do we, you know, when you go out for a meal and you'll order something like that, like some pasta based dish, and then you go, I sure might, I might be hungry. I'll have some chips on the side. And you order the portion of chips as well. And you really don't need it. No. And you say that yourself, Patricia, step away from the table. Yeah. So I think the, um, you know, the thing to do is stop eating when you're, when you're, when you don't feel hungry anymore. Um, and my dad would actually say, stop eating before you feel full and then you wait 10 or 20 minutes and if you're hungry you can still order more so you know if you're out for a meal and you're hungry you can go back and order chips you know halfway through your meal if you feel that you need more so uh, practice moderation. Yeah, I was I was out on on Friday night and uh, we ordered tapas and I think tapas is great because you just put onto your plate the little bit you know as you're eating the different courses that that came out. The only thing was we left a load behind us. Oh well actually 
say I find the other way, Patricia. I hate tapas <laughs> because I hate sharing my food. Oh. I like my dinner. I like it, and I never feel full afterwards. Do you? So, um, so everybody's like so different. <laughs> Everybody Absolutely. is so different. Okay, final one in Bridget in Mallow. Her fingernails are breaking, and she's noticing ridges in her fingernails. What would you suggest she takes? Okay, so this isn't again scientific, Patricia, but an observation over years. You need good, strong stomach acid to be able to digest protein. And I've noticed that people who have weakened stomach acid, so therefore they're not producing enough stomach acid, they find it difficult to digest protein. If they ate a steak, for example, they might feel it sits there for ages. And they can develop those ridges in their nails and their nails become weak and brittle because they don't have enough protein. So I would suggest working at the root of the problem there. If you do find that you're suffering a little bit from constipation or you're feeling that food is sitting in your stomach for a long time and you've got that problem with your nails, take a digestive enzyme with a little bit of acid in there and that'll help sort the problem out at the source. Um, And then in terms of improving the strength of your nails, I love biotin. I think it's the number one thing I recommend here in the shop and your nails will come out beautifully strong. The other thing about low stomach acid as well, Patricia, actually, is that it's more difficult to um, absorb your calcium and your zinc and your iron from your diet because they all need to be slightly acidified in the stomach in order to prepare them for absorption. So calcium would be another one that's very important for nice, strong nails. So digestive enzyme with a little bit of stomach acid in there, a bit of HCL, and then biotin is great for strengthening nails and you'll notice your hair is beautiful as well after the biotin. He sounds great. Listen, a mind of information as always. Thank you, Annalise. Have a lovely Thanks week and continue to enjoy this uh, gorgeous weather. That's Annalise Dressel and you can uh, check out uh, As Heart on the Radio. Annalise puts it up on her own website, which is healthhubstore.com. Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub, Times Square, Ballingall. Somebody wants to thank everybody involved in the vintage afternoon held by Cullen and District Special Needs Association yesterday. Fantastic day, somebody says. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who uh, produced. Nick is with you for the afternoon, and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,